listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, this week we have with us Gene Christian. He is a DIR expert training leader and mental health counselor in Spokane, Washington. He has been a student of Dr. Greenspan since 2001. He had the opportunity to meet with him and discuss research and other things that we'll hear about today. And I love today's topic because it is um, a topic that came up in the Floor Time with Adults course at ICDL that I attended. And when Jean started presenting, I was just blown away by uh, the content. And I've always focused in my training in in DIR, the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, a developmental approach to working with children with developmental differences, I've always uh, had a focus on children. And so hearing this presentation about floor time with adults was really, really exciting. And so today we're talking about moving from dysregulation to intent how adults with extreme developmental differences can benefit from DIR floor time. So welcome, Jean Christian. Hi, Daria. Thank you very much for that introduction and for this opportunity. Well, well it's... Go ahead. Oh, it's, it's wonderful that you agreed to do this. I'm so excited um, to hear about what you have to say and share this with our listeners. Okay, well... Then I'll begin. And, um, okay, I'm going to pull up um, a couple of slides here that Jean shared with the Floor Time with Adults course. And I'll let you uh, take it away, Jean. Okay, thank you, Daria. Well, I began to study with Dr. Greenspan back in 2001. A drop down. Anyway... <laughs> Since uh, since some, around 2003, 2005, um, I have focused on working with mostly young children, toddlers, and infants um, with severe challenges. Um, but before that, I had a few years, because I had had this background in positive behavior support, where I worked with adults who showed different kinds of behavioral issues. And we use DIR floor time adapted in a respectful way for the adults. Um, and we're talking here about people who are challenged or have such intense developmental differences that they're often nonverbal and often unable to show intent in a way that is clear to us. One of the things that Dr. Greenspan really always emphasized this is the critical importance of recognizing how without the ability to interact with other people, to co-regulate, if you will, um, without that, um, we are subject to all kinds of inner emotions that we don't really understand and surely can't control. And that's a big part of, you know, what they call behavior problems. Um, I call them, well, they're problems for the people around them. But also one of the things we really need to recognize is that they're problems also for these folks who are more or less locked in their own sensory systems or processing systems is a better way of putting that. 
my focus, whether it was 20 years ago when I was working with adults or this last 15, 20 years when I've been focusing on infants as young as two months of age who have had, um, who are not, uh, have fallen off the developmental ladder to a large degree. The issue, the thing here though, that we have in common with, I have in common between both of those kinds of work is simply the fact that these folks are still working through the critical first four capacities. And that's where I focus. Um, lots of people, including my, my wife, really focus on the fifth and sixth capacities. But I focus on one through four, whether I'm working with a four-month-old baby or a 45-year-old man. Um, because these are often the most difficult um, uh, challenges in, uh, to, to, to navigate in terms of the, the developmental trajectory. And the key thing to understand, I think, and is so meaningful to me, is that from what I have seen, this approach really helps people in terms of feeling better about their lives, their environment, and yes, beginning to use relationships. Uh, and sometimes those relationships begin with something as simple as clapping hands or, or mirroring what a person is doing or following their eyes to see where their focus is, uh, to try to pick out that grain of intent so that we can join them. But often these folks live in institutional or community settings with, of course, 24-hour care and supervision. That in and of itself is a developmental challenge, but I won't dwell on that too much. Gene, um, can I jump in for a minute? Please do. Um, so I just want to clarify for our listeners when Gene talks about the first four capacities. Some, oh. some people are familiar with the DIR model and some people aren't as familiar with the specifics. So... Um, what Jean is talking about is Dr. Greenspan in, in this DIR floor time um, approach has discussed six early social emotional capacities or functional emotional developmental capacities that we've discussed many times at affectautism.com in the blog, um, some podcasts I've done with Dr. Ira Glavinsky focusing specifically on the importance of the early social developmental capacities where it's, it's about um, I think the important point we're, we're talking about today is that Jean's talking about people who are so isolated because when you say they're in a setting, they could be there for years and never really have a true interaction with anybody because there's workers coming in and going, maybe changing diapers if they're not toilet trained or feeding them and leaving, changing, getting them dressed and leaving and not really having any profound interactions. And the early capacities are about just that, about being regulated and attending to the world so we can share an experience with another person, about being able to engage in something with another person and have this back and forth whether it's nonverbal or verbal in the case that we're discussing today, mostly nonverbal communications with each other, uh, whether it's eye contact or 
a gesture with an arm showing somebody that like indicating, like you saying in having intent, like I want this food today or whatever it is, some kind of back and forth interaction and then getting into a shared social problem solving at the fourth capacity. So there are, um, if you go to affectautism.com, I will have in the blog post links where people can look up exactly um, in more detail these early developmental capacities. And then fifth and sixth, getting more symbolic and having logical thinking and and being able to um, do imaginary scenarios and and. I'll just leave it at that for now, but I just, I just wanted to jump in and clarify that for people who are listening on a podcast who might not be familiar with, with that. The first capacity is shared regulation and the ability to share attention. And that usually is, comes into full flower by about three months. One thing that happens at about six or seven weeks with infants, assuming they don't have sensory challenges that prevent this, is that at that, in typical development, at about six or seven weeks, the infant begins to, as, as Dr. Stern, James Stern once put it, zap into the mother's eyes and begin to really focus on her eyes and what her eyes might be signaling. Many of our babies with challenges miss that critical step, which is really the first, I won't say the first social step, I think, if Dr. Brazelton were here, he'd have a lot to say if I said it was the first social step because of the ability of children's, uh, children, uh, infants at birth. Um, but I'm getting off into a sidelight. The main thing to understand is that it is critical in those first three months of life that we begin to enter what Dr. Greenspan called preverbal gestural, preverbal affective gestural signaling um it's kind of a mouthful but it basically means what we think of often as nonverbal communication um and that's what happens when that infant zaps t- in typical development into the mom's eyes or the dad's or the primary caregiver the central attachment figure if you will and at that point over the next few months the infant really begins to fall in love with her caregiver and her caregiver is already in love with her. And that love unfolds into all kinds of things. My personal belief is that it begins to awaken the mirror neuron system through which we, we begin to empathize with other folks just by interacting with them. That's a sidelight. But the main thing is, in those first three months, we become regulated enough to share attention, and we can only do them with the help of another person. So if we find our paths blocked by sensory or, or other kinds of processing challenges, we may not zap in. We may not make that critical connection that is so important to the development of a sense of self and begin that preverbal affective gestural signaling, which is so critical and at first, of course, in those in- motheries, I'll call them interactions. You know, mom's carrying 90 to 95 to 98% of that. But that's part of what happens as we move through these capacities. We begin to share nonverbal interaction, and we follow the person's lead. And often that's the hardest part of going. 
getting going. How can we make that first connection? And sometimes it takes maybe a whole session, and sometimes it may take a whole bunch of sessions. But when that comes, the um, typically developing infant or the older person who's been isolated in their own processing system um, begin to really focus on critical other people. I'm going to show you some pretty dramatic graphs about how using DIR with these adults causes uh, a real reduction in problem behaviors, which fits in with what I was saying before about the emotional isolation creates all kinds of turbulent emotions. This is straight out of Stanley Greenspan. Um, and as a result, the person lives locked in, 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 in that world, which often erupts into what we call problem behavior. Okay, going back to engagement, which really comes on strong about the, the six months, so to speak, which is also roughly that five to seven months time is when attachment experts say that attachment flowers. And Greenspan initially made a point of indicating how this capacity is, uh, it's about attachment. And it really is, really is. I've had extensive training in attachment. And um, Dr. Greenspan is right in there. Um, just, he, he mirrors what the child uh, is going through. He tells us what the other side of that attachment experience is. Way too many attachment experts think it all begins with the parents and the child is a tabla rasa, a blank slate. Well, it doesn't really work that way. There's two sides in, in a relationship that in this engagement period melds into one side. And we begin to see intention, if we will, very early in that five to seven month period when engagement really flowers, um, shared, shared falling in love, if you will. Um, and that moves into intent. The infant really begins to understand that the primary caregiver responds to her just as much as she responds to the primary caregiver. Although it not, must be noted that the sense of self is so fragile and amorphous at this point that really it's this engagement that helps it focus in and that interaction with other people. I can't emphasize enough. You don't get regulated without using other people. That's how we do it. Of course, when we get older, you know, we learn our own ways of doing that. But in terms of learning initially to stay regulated and be a part of the world, you just have to... Um, really go through these capacities and, and rely on, on, on your interaction with another person. And I'm talking about you, me, because we all go through this. But gradually we become intentional. And by eight or nine months, you've got the child in a high chair, hopefully sitting up, and you give her some cereal and she throws it on the floor and you pick it up and put it back together and she's smiling, maybe even laughing. And this will go on as long as the parent's willing to let it go on. Because the child delights in that power, delights in being a, a, an active participant in what's going on. He's not, she's not quite at the age yet where she's beginning to feel mom's frustration, or she does toward the end. I don't mean to emphasize that. It feels it in such a way that she stops 
That comes in the fourth capacity. When all of these things we have, I'll use the term learn, but actually in typical development, they grow from the inside out with the help of primary caregivers. But we move into the fourth capacity where so much happens, including just a full flowering of that pre-verbal affective signal. And I can't emphasize enough how important that was to Stanley and how what a critical cornerstone it is of his theory. Um, but in the fourth capacity, then we began to do shared social problem solving. Oh, boy, I want those cookies on the shelf, and it's breakfast time, and Mom's got oatmeal for me, but I really want to insist on the cookies on the shelf. And Mom, Mom may go through a lot of circles with the infant, circles of communication back and forth. This is what Greenspan recommended. I'm not 100% sure I'm behind it. But he would say, ride that, create as many circles as possible and let the child melt down. It's not a big deal. I don't believe in that. That's where I disagree with my erstwhile friend, Stanley Greenspan. I think we should make circles, but I don't think we should ever, if we can help it, lead the child into a meltdown. Because what we want the child to practice in this fourth capacity is the ability to solve problems. And melting down, so to speak, is about the bluntest instrument that the child is going to learn to have in her, her tool bag, if you will. And this tool bag, this sensitivity to other people, beginning to empathize with them and their experience through Preverbal signaling begins in the fourth capacity. We begin to develop a, a, a fairly strong sense of self as we work through social problems that happen when we really move out into the world. And we want stuff and we come bang up against the reality principle. Those are the first four capacities. And so now, much happens. Yeah, Daria, go ahead. Can I jump in and ask an um Something happened last week that my son's therapist at school mentioned. They were outside with pails building little snow castles. And they were, um, there were three kids, a girl and my son and another boy. And um, they, he, my son didn't like um, them coming and touching his stuff. So they left. And then he got really upset and the therapist was co-regulating with him like, Oh, well they didn't, you didn't let them play with, with your toys. They want to play too. And he was quickly able to make that connection and invite them back and give them one of his pails. So is that what you're talking about in that fourth capacity where you're starting to recognize, like you don't really have the true empathy yet. Maybe but you're starting to be able to recognize it and with co-regulated help, you can follow through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's exactly right. And that empathy, um, just like all of our strategies for dealing with the world that we develop in this critical fourth capacity, um, actually flowers in the fifth capacity when we begin to conceptualize, actually symbolize in our own head the idea of me. Um, okay. and, and you, and, and other things in the world. So, you know, it really comes, and then in the sixth capacity, 
you know, your song was tying together ideas. Oh, that, you know, it was because I said, no, I don't want you to. They thought I didn't want to play or something along those lines, if I understand you. So that's excellent fourth capacity functioning, even if he is highly verbal. But you see things like that go on. You know, I use the example of the cookies on the shelf. You want to go outside and play in your diaper when the snow is there. It looks like so much fun to roll around in. All those things happen, and we have to deal with them in the fourth capacity. And, of course, we end up dealing with frustration. And Like I said, the re- reality principle. Um, that sense of self really develops, but it, it has to have the, we have to have the ability to conceptualize ourselves, other people in the world around us, which is really what flowers in the fifth and sixth capacity. But we can't do that well unless we've gone through the fourth capacity as thoroughly as possible. One of the things that means is being able to continue to interact in a relatively calm fashion through all kinds of frustration, conflict, and all of the things that the world throws at us when we become active participants. Um, So that's just giving a little bit of sense of the fourth capacity. so let's, yeah, go ahead, Dar. Let's let's bring it into back to the world of nonverbal adults, let's say, who have extreme developmental differences and they are essentially trapped in their bodies. And you're going to speak a little bit about, I think in in one of the upcoming slides, about the assumptions we make about intellectual capacity when people yes. are nonverbal. But this slide here really talks about um how you can counter that sense of isolation using floor time. So you have here some of the things you've described, and do you want to go through it a little bit more before I go to the next slide? Um, Yeah. These are just examples. I mean, like I say, often with uh, a lot of folks who have severe processing issues, a lot of infants aren't able to enter into this kind of interaction. So we want to build it. And it's really hard sometimes to gauge intent when people are still struggling with regulation on a daily basis. It's, yeah. But mirroring vocalizations is one way to go. Physical movements, mirroring, being mildly playfully playfully obstructive. One of the really cool things about Greenspan's approach was that we create in our interaction little problems appropriate to where the child is in her development or the adult is in his. But often those little problems are very small problems. But for instance, if I'm slapping hands with somebody, um, I might miss one time and see how the person responds. Just, just, you know, miss their hand entirely. That level of playful obstruction, nothing bigger. The biggest mistake we make with people in these first four capacities is trying to get them to do things that are not yet in their repertoire, that they're not developmentally prepared for yet. Um, I I could do an entire podcast with a thousand billion examples (laughs) of things that happen at home where... um, yeah, it's it's frustrating for a little guy when, you know, people put demands on him that he's not yet able to, but yet we think he should be able to. And imagine how we feel when he's, you know, a nine-year-old 
in, in maybe around a five-year-old capacity, imagine with a 45-year-old nonverbal man and how we're expecting him to do things that maybe he just hasn't reached that capacity yet uh, interactively to be able to show us. And thanks for that lead-in, because we're going to be looking at examples, graphs, behavioral graphs of what happens with with folks when they find a a real, I'll call it simpatico, staff member. And often, the way I've seen this work is a staff person may daily try to interact with a person who doesn't yet have the capacity to interact, still struggling in that first shared regulation area. and But it, that affinity can often pull them in because they want to interact with staff people, if you will. And now I've moved on to adults in 24-hour settings, but they want to interact with these. They usually, ought, if you're into your job, you have some favorite people. And so you get as much out of it as the, well, I won't say you get as much out of it as the person you're working with, but it's it's really strong. But it's really hard to get administrators to understand this because this is all pre-verbal stuff. One of the things that happens it, or, or doesn't happen is we don't remember navigating the first four capacities because we don't have the symbolic strength to be able to label and and file them, if you will, yet. Um, I'm going to end this slide with just emphasizing this last sentence. Connection can be slow, but once it's consist- once you're consistently able to engage in more than 10 circles of communication in a row on a regular basis, it seems that people can experience real shared regulation, engagement, and beyond. Um, okay, we can go ahead. I just wanted to emphasize that last part. Yeah, and, and, and just, just to reiterate some of this. So, you know, like you said, and the R is there for a reason in DIR, the relationship, it really is everything. And if you have a caring um, caregiver at a group home, or whether it's at home, if it's a mother or father, sibling, whatever it is, um, and if the person is only able to make vocalizations and noises, and you're mirroring those and letting them know you're not mocking them, you're joining in with them, you're doing physical movements and gestures, and like you said, doing the clapping, just trying to get a playful interaction with the person, and like you said, clap, clap, oh, miss a clap, oh, laughing and using affect and being silly, that you'll find the person slowly warming up to you and you're getting this connection and you're starting to see more and back and forth. And that's what you're talking about here with the, with the 10 um, circles back and forth. When you get to that point, it really, um, that's when you really can start getting, um, seeing the floor time, having the effect that you want. And it occurs to me that we haven't talked about circles of communication. Do you want to explain that or want me to, or how do you, or do you think everybody knows what we mean by that? I, I mean, I, I always, when I first learned about floor time, I struggled with circles of communication, and some people get it right away. Um, Harvard uses the term serve and return, and other places use other things. It's just, you know, if, if I'm giving a glance 
and the person sort of motions something back to me and I acknowledge that motion. That's a circle. So it's just this nonverbal interaction back and forth where it's not me doing one thing and the other person saying something because if they're not in the, in the shared moment with us, it's not a circle of communication. It's, it's a reciprocal, like I, I serve, you return it, I serve it back, you return it, that kind of thing. Uh, you can probably explain it way better than I can, Gene. <laughs> yeah, I think you did a great job. I, I, in fact, I really like you using the serve and return because that does lead to just talking about how important it is when you're initially working with anyone who's still struggling in the first four capacities, your goal is to get them to do the serving and you return. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you want to try to do initially. Unfortunately, um, I, I just think we think way too much in terms of, um, well, expecting more of people than they're able to do developmentally. And we want to focus on left brain, if you will, uh, organizational, analytic, linguistically-based thinking, when these folks aren't in that world yet. Um, they're in their own inner world. And one of the things, I think I'll go into this right now, Daria, um, I really question the idea of, of even beginning to think about cognitive evaluation of people who are still struggling in the first four capacities. They can't they're unable yet to respond to questions. They're, they're not able to go through all of the little pieces of any kind of IQ test. And so we jump to the understanding that, oops, no, nah, cognitively they're really challenged. Well, they're really challenged by their processing system, but we don't know what's going on inside. They may have a whole sense of how the world functions as they begin to develop and their potential is something we just don't know. I was able to do some work with some folks for a year at the most. Or, um, I wonder what goes on if, if some of these folks, you know, could have regular co-regulatory engagement on it several times a day forever. You know, are we going to see brilliance, what we think of as brilliance, emerge? Because we, once they, that person is able to actually do the IQ test, then we can do it. Okay, these are directions continued for, for DIR uh, with, with, well, anybody in the fourth capacity. You know, you try to get a back and forth exchange. Uh, you know, you may open the first circles. Technically, we want to see the child open the circle or do the serving or the, the adult with whom you're working. But... Often we have to kind of open the circle. And this is what I was talking about with playful obstruction. Um, a person is engaging in some form of hand clapping. You might initially engage with them just by sticking your hand in between the clap. And they may get really not liking that. And you get really respectful and you apologize. But they may smile and try to clap their hands up here or grab your hand or do any one of things that number of things to close that circle. I'm focusing on this a lot because it's, this is where we, we, I think we're really challenged in our DIR world. How do we get 
people who are struggling in the first four capacities to begin to open circles. And really, I'm talking about struggling in the first capacity. Because once engagement begins to happen, the person will naturally move in, I think, if that engagement continues into being intentional and realizing they can impact the behavior of other people with their behavior. Um, yeah, and I really like, I think, you know, we pretty much talked about what's on these slides, but I, I like the point that you made that you might try and stick your hand in between their clap, uh, which is being playfully obstructive. And the very important point you made is they may not like it. And if not, you want to apologize. And I think that's a point that people can sometimes overlook. I know that Greenspan um, talked about this a lot in his radio shows. You say, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You didn't like that. And acknowledging that person's boundaries and that you always want to give that person the control. I've heard him say that many, many times. It's always giving them the control, but you're sort of the director, um, if that makes sense. A lot of sense. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Because what what happens if what happens if we don't do that? Then dysregulation and and if it's somebody who's very big and strong, it could get dangerous if they become dysregulated and have violent tendencies. So we always want to be respectful. And floor time. If anyone tells you that floor time isn't respectful, they really don't understand the DIR model. Amen. Amen. Yeah. It is hard to understand, especially in the first four capacities, because we don't have the symbolic lattice work to to put our own experience into that. And and so we're really following the person's lead is really the first big challenge. And like I say, opening that interaction, sometimes that kind of miles playful obstruction is the way to go. But one thing you said earlier, Daria, that's so important. Be silly. Have fun. Be an attractive idiot, if you will. Because this is not something that, you know, the person may well engage with that. And and the one thing they're getting, you know, they have had, as Daria, as you put it so clearly, they have been having demands of various kinds that they don't really understand being put on them so much. And, get, and we're talking adults here, getting past that experience to where they trust your interaction and they really realize you're not going to interfere with their plan, whatever that plan may be. And often it's a simple regulatory motor plan, you know, something like this going on. But it, it helps achieve regulation in this isolated world. So once you really want to help them realize you're not there, to make them do anything. Um, I work with an early intervention program, and one of the one of the phrases I often have to counter is, well, I really want to move him to the next capacity. No, you are not going to move him to the next capacity. You're going to be with him and engage in a floor time, and you're going to watch him do his own moving at his own pace. Um, yeah, so even let's, that concept, let's, highlight, let's highlight that and put it in bold in the blog okay. post that goes with this because that's really important too is we have all of these expectations of where we want 
our children, if we're parents of younger children, to be. And at this age, I want them to be in this grade, and I want them to do this. And guess what? They're on their own timeline. We have to follow their timeline. And Dr. Tippy, Dr. Gil Tippy, has talked about, um, you know, children that grow into young adults and are still living in their parents' basements at age 35 and one day wake up and say, you know what, I think I'm ready to move out. And maybe it didn't happen at age 18 or 20 or 25. It happened at age 35. But when they're ready and we're continuing with the floor time and providing that opportunity for them to continue their development, when it happens, it's it's like watering a flower. You can't yell at the flower till it grows. It's going to grow when all the conditions are met. Beautiful image. Really beautiful. <laughs> it's not mine. It's not my original. I've yeah. heard many other people say it, but <laughs> okay, okay. it's fitting. So yeah. We'll, we'll go with it. Um, okay, yeah. let's go on to the... Go ahead, Doreen. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, let's see what... Um, yeah. Yeah, I, this next slide, you talked a lot about this, how Greenspan really emphasize the pre-verbal experience and having this affective pre-verbal signaling and affective meaning nonverbal gestural emotions affect like the the look on your face being able to recognize that hmm that person gave me a look that indicates they didn't like what I did and I recognize that and it may be just a little subtlety around their eyes mm-hmm. uh, or I focus too much on the visual. The, the voice tone can do the same thing if the person has, you know, visual challenges. It, it's that preverbal signaling in whatever mode may may be strongest for the individual. Um, I really do want to emphasize this this slide. I mean, I've really got to know Stanley during his infancy and early childhood courses. Although I didn't actually work with him until years later, what what we talked about doing, Stanley and I, I was using DIR at that time in a uh, child protective services uh, program where we tried to build attachment between infants and their and their their parents, and um, I was really seeing a lot of success in that with with. DIR and the thing about it was that's where Stanley was originally going with the whole thing. He he kind of he and Serena Wita kind of fell into working with with kids and people with disabilities when they discovered how how that works in but you know poverty and attachment and disability. What they 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 found themselves in the middle of that stream that a lot of us know run together, and and that's that's when they kind of moved more toward. Uh, disabling conditions, but I don't think Stanley ever lost his focus on attachment because that's what he really wanted to do research on um, or when when he found out what I was doing there. That was, you know, I used to have an old Stanley Greenspan film when he was about 30. At that time, he'd only developed four capacities, um, but He's clearly focusing on attachment, was clearly focusing on attachment and, and typical development at that point. Um, quite a, it was quite a young man. Um, but anyway, in his infancy and early childhood courses, um, 
he talked about how critical a successful navigation of the first four capacities through preverbal, gestural, emotional signaling, um, how critical that is for moving on to the other capacities. And we all know, and a lot of us, including me, are examples of people who've moved on into the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, way beyond to I think it was a total of 13 by the time Stanley died, going into you know people my age. Um, but without navigating those first four capacities effectively, the emotional issues that we didn't resolve in the fourth capacity come back to haunt us. How many of you have seen a person get angry and just leave a conversation because they can't do it anymore? What Stanley wanted to see us do with our infants and children, one of his favorite videos he showed all the time was of a dad and a little boy uh, with autism arguing about whether the window should be open or shut. And in his video, you know, the dad would shut it, the child would open it, and they, they, they went through all the affect, but they continued to regulate. and They resolved it in some way. But we want to see a child be able to navigate, or an adult who's moving into the first, fourth capacity, be able to navigate um, all of these emotions while continuing to interact. I think it's safe to say maybe none of us truly master the fourth capacity, but it naturally leads into the fifth and who we are as a person and the development of our own sense of self. Um, Actually, I, I, I really like, um, I really like what you brought up because it is an important point And I brought it up numerous times in other podcasts that it's very easy for us to forget that we are all human beings and we all develop and we all have emotions and we all go through these things. So it's very easy for us to separate ourselves from the person we're interacting with because they haven't developed these capacities, but it's much easier to relate and understand when we put ourselves in their shoes. And we think when you are in a, a let's use your example of a debate and you're back and forth, and you can't handle the fact that you're being challenged and challenged and challenged, and you walk away, that is your version of a catastrophic um, emotion because you can't stay in it. You can't calmly regulate yourself to stay in it. You, you've given up. Now, other people might have a, a bit of an adult temper tantrum and, and yell or throw something, um, and this is the kind of thing you're talking about. I think when you say the catastrophic emotions that overwhelm us and put us back down to that first level where we're not even able to stay regulated. And when you realize all of the different um, factors that contribute to why someone with a developmental difference is unable to stay regulated, we have no idea what they're going through that, the sensory issues, whatever else, and not having mastered some of the earlier capacities that human beings can master over time um, makes it makes it almost impossible for them not to have the catastrophic. So I, I remember hearing Dr. Greenspan always talk about little tiny bits of getting them to tolerate frustration. And like we talked about earlier, backing off when it's too much for them. 
Um, and then let's try and get them to tolerate a little bit more because once they get practice tolerating frustration, then it'll help with everything that you're talking about, I think is where you're going with this. Is that right? Oh, you got it. You got it, Daria. We're talking the same thing, <laughs> same language. Um, yes, yes. I, um, one thing that, that is maybe worth noting at this point is just how when Dr. Greenspan talked about these, Stanley's fourth capacity is all about learning to become a human being in a pre-verbal way. He emphasized that by 18 months, the infant's certainly using words, but primarily she has developed a really skilled ability, you know, in ideal circumstances, to read and respond to social situations. You know, it's the fourth capacity where we learn not to walk up and start talking about our favorite thing to a group of people without even checking in on them. Uh, you know, and checking in on them is a pre-verbal thing that we have. But, you know, you've, you've walked up to friends, all of us, you were going to make a joke or something, and you just sensed at about 10 feet away, maybe earlier, maybe a little later, that something serious is going on and a joke wouldn't be appropriate. That's pre-verbal functioning, and that's a sense of the kind of thing we develop in the fourth capacity, or that comes to flower in the fourth capacity, flowering into symbols um, that that are critical, that are just important parts of pre-verbal signal. That's um, okay. Can I, can I ask a question about that? Sure. So. Um, I'm wondering about a step in between. So there might be where you're unaware, because I, I see some of the autistic kids um, at my son's school who, who do that kind of thing. They, they haven't developed that capacity yet, and they'll come up and they'll start asking questions or, or talking about something without checking in if, if the group is ready for, or inviting them in. Um, so there might be that lack of awareness, but then, and then the other end where you're able to see, and you kind of wait, like you said, you want to tell the joke, but you see it's not the right time. So you hold off. What about the in-between where you recognize that it's not the right time, but your impulses take over and you do it anyway. So you, you know what you're doing maybe isn't, uh, isn't appropriate, but you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> because you, we really learn to, how can I say this, get very sophisticated, hopefully, when we're navigating the fourth capacity in terms of our emotions interacting and engaging with other people. That's when we learn to model, modulate. We enter the fourth capacity you know, about the fifth time when mom puts the cereal on the counter instead of putting it back in front of you, you know, you get mad, maybe even meltdown. That's our, you know, how we do negative preverbal signaling when we enter that fourth capacity. And along the way, you know, I mean, hey, we all have moments when, did you hear what just happened? And you run into the group and that you've got that same urge. It's more we think of it as maybe more socially appropriate to overwhelm them with, you know, a hurricane hit Texas or whatever it may be. Um, 
We all do that um, and, and don't take the time. But you can see how as we begin to develop the ability to sense it, we begin to develop more control over how we modulate our expressions of emotion. And that really is a fourth capacity function. I think, I really, I really think that one of the things that happened when we lost Stanley is that we lost the critical focus that he put on these first four capacities and shared regulation and especially how all of that comes together, the engagement, the falling in love together, the I want to enforce my will on you, I can do that, into much more subtle pre-verbal experiences. But I, I said before, you know, the fourth capacity is primarily about learning pre-verbal functioning, developing a sense of self and interaction with others. It's the only way we can develop one. Um, and, and so on, if you will. Okay, let's move into some of these slides. Oh, I think we're, I don't know how, what, how our time looks, but one of the things I found back when I was doing positive behavior support, and I want you to understand that what we typically think of as ABA, I abandoned in uh, when, what, the 1970s. Um, and, and let me just say, for people not familiar with ABA, applied, oh, yeah, what that is. <laughs> applied behavioral analysis, which is the by far accepted, most accepted um, therapy, intervention, approach, treatment, etc., for anyone who gets a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, um, overwhelmingly every professional in the world will say ABA, ABA, ABA. And anyone who's DIR, I, I, I hope, and I'm pretty sure, really disagree with that strongly. <laughs> and that's why I say I gave it up in the 70s, through some nice mentoring from people who knew what they were doing, and led me into positive behavior support, which is based in ABA. But instead of focusing on stimulus response, we focus on the antecedent stimulus response. What is kicking off the problem behavior in the environment? And how can we change that to make the environment fit the person? Like I say, that approach was built on ABA, but it's, it's, you can see how it moves directly into DIR. One of the positive behavior, most articulate positive behavior support people in the country is a guy named David Petoniak. And one of the things David emphasizes is that relationship. He says the loneliness is the biggest disability of our time. And, and he was very influential. And the next thing I knew, I was reading articles by Stanley Greenspan and getting really interested. And I'm talking about the mid-90s there. I began to use it in my positive behavior support. And... This actually, all these slides are going to, you're going to see these, these happened for the most part before I started, uh, went back east in 2001, as I say, and started learning directly from Stanley. Um, but this is this focused interaction, trying to have fun with other people, um, really 
when I was only reading books, I've been to one Stanley presentation over in Portland, Oregon, and, and reading his books, and, and that using positive, using, excuse me, DIR interaction, like we've been talking about, as the critical component of what we call a positive behavior support plan. That's what I was doing at this stage. I didn't, this is, these things, the, uh, between 1995 and 2001 are when all these graphs happened. But we found some fascinating things. This woman who really wasn't named Jennifer had was very isolated in terms of her ability to communicate. She would sit in the living room of the small apartment she shared with three other people and usually one staff person. And, and do the kind of self-regulatory movements that we all are familiar with. And that was how she would spend most of her time. But then, all of a sudden, she, the problem behavior, it would, whatever was going on inside would overwhelm her. And, and then she would rip off her clothes and head out the door. What we found is what you see on this graph. She had a staff person who worked with her who really liked her and also had worked with another person who's, I don't think we'll see that graph using DIR. Yes, we will. Um, and, and really focused on Jennifer. And you see between this period of roughly a month uh, of interaction, if you will, whether you call it, I've never... I've used the term adult floor time, but I'm not sure I like that because it sounds too childish. I prefer intentional interaction or um, adapted floor time, if you will. But that's what we did. Uh, and based on just my limited knowledge during that era, when I hadn't yet really started to sit at Stanley's feet. Um, but what we saw is that in this rough time frame of a month, she gave up this behavior. And she gave it up for the next two months. Um, if I remember right, what happened was the staff person who was really getting into DIR and working with Jennifer as well as another person, I think in these slides we call Audrey, um, the Gulf War started uh, and, and uh, because of family reasons, he was an older fellow, but he needed to go care for his children's children. Well, because his son was being drafted, or not drafted, being sent to um, uh, overseas. And, and so that's what happened at the end of that slide. Um, Audrey is the other person with whom he worked. And I call her Minerva, I believe, in the paper that I wrote about this. But if this is the same person, the same graph, and actually the same staff person. And he got really interested because Audrey... She wasn't big, but she was full-grown, and she would become very violent. I remember the day I first began to work with her, and she started, we came into the apartment, me and the, the supervisor of all the apartments and the, super, the person who worked in that particular apartment, and just the three of us coming in were enough to overwhelm Audrey. And she started screaming and shouting and, you know, being... Very threatening physically, and of course, we, we went out the door, but on our way out the door, she threw a pillow at us from the couch. I picked up the pillow. 
opened the door and threw it back in with a big grin. And then she threw it out again. And I threw it back. And, and finally, she was laughing about the interaction. We were able to get back into the apartment. And that was the first time I, I well, I, that I really began to work with her. And um, I remember that supervisor of all the apartments said she just knew there was going to be a meltdown when I started throwing that pillow back and laughing and making a game out of it. You know, it really was a 50-50 thing. But she responded quickly to floor time. If you look at this graph, we started it um, in August. We started the graph based on her extreme behaviors, her outbursts where she was aggressive. She could and did hurt other people, staff mostly, but sometimes her roommates. Um, but we, we started tracking in August, and then in October, we began this DIR floor time um, approach. And I say this DIR floor time because I was really excited about it, but I still wasn't really a member of the community hadn't met Stanley yet. Um, and you see what happened to her aggressive behavior between October and February. And I don't, well, yes, this is the same fellow. He was working with Audrey and he got called back home down south to take care of his grandchildren. But th this is the graph of the time when he was there. Um, and you can see what, it, what an impact this, this intentional interaction using pre-verbal signaling. I mean, this woman, neither of the women whose graphs I've shown, so to speak, uh, were able to talk. But they were both clearly communicative in their own way. So anyway, this is Audrey, and then we're going to go to Henry if we could. Now, Henry is an example of a young man in his early 20s who stood about six foot two. I think he was taller than me by several inches and certainly was a fit person. And his aggression was extreme. Um, our response to it was to get out of this apartment, uh, or, you know, the staff's response. And, and hopefully uh, nothing would get hurt and no one, especially no one would get hurt. But you see the rate of his problem behavior. If you look at this graph, at the little pink dot right above August, that indicates when we began the ad adapted floor time um, with, with Henry. But you see how extreme his aggression was before that. Um, and you see the market drop over the course of the next two years with Henry that um, is so impressive. Was it two years? I'm sorry, the next year. I didn't look carefully at my graph. And um, just for the listeners who are listening on podcast, the graphs that he's showing are showing number of incidences of aggression, and they're quite high. And then once their adapted floor time started, where they started being playful and using this effective nonverbal signaling um, with with these people, the, the incidences of aggression drastically dropped. So in this particular graph we're looking at with Henry, uh, there'd be as high as, you know, 13 incidences down to zero at the end of the graph, about um, 
a year and a half, a little over a year later of doing floor time. Uh, but it, it drops within a few months down to zero and then you might get one or two here or there. Um, but yeah, I, I imagine that it's, um, like we talked about at the beginning. And again, we're talking with Jean Christian, who's a mental health counselor in Spokane, Washington, and a DIR expert um, training leader. Um, this, th These are people who probably are dealing with um, people coming into the home, forcing them to do things, not necessarily forcing as in um, forcing, but you know what I mean? Like putting demands on them, bossing them around, like do this, do that, whatever. And, Instead now, changing the dynamics so the person coming in is a trustable person, a playful person, we're having fun, and right away the aggression is almost eliminated. <laughs> and and that's the powerful part. That's the powerful part. They, feel, they feel safe. Yeah. What happens there, I believe, is that people who never – been able to interact with another person, begin to experience being focused on, and I'm going to use Martin Buber's term, in an I-thou way. Uh, Martin Buber was, well, <laughs> a, philo a Hasidic philosopher back in the mid-20th century. And another colleague was Abraham Maslow, who talked about being experiences and seeing people as being whole, complete, and perfect in and of themselves. And that's where we have to begin. The only way folks are going to really change is if we treat them as being fully complete, fully complete as they are. And then we can watch them change by being providing them with this I, thou, you really an important person and you intrigue the heck out of me and I want to learn everything I can from you. And that's the approach. And when these people begin to experience folks who are really taking that approach with them. I, I've worked around ABA for 40 years and I've seen a lot of graphs and I've seen punishment graphs that are more dramatic than these. But in terms of using positive approaches, this is these incidences are as dramatic as anything I've ever seen. And DIR floor time adapted respectfully for people who are fully fully grown adults. Is this a good place to stop? Or well. Um yeah, just just to kind of wrap it up, it's it is such a profound thing to have someone who has not had interactions of any kind of significance with people to start having interactions that are actually enjoyable and meaningful. And when that starts to happen, to see the early developmental capacities start to flourish and for them to feel empowered enough because they probably tried to communicate their needs for years and just to have it ignored to finally realize, wait a second, now I can have an intention and someone might actually respond to it in a way that I'm hoping they will respond to it. And that will encourage more interaction. And one thing that you did mention in that 
uh, course that I, I was introduced to you through was that it could be a very slow process. And it's not like you'll have a nonverbal adult who might be doing a lot of stimulatory behaviors to regulate themselves. And maybe the only, um, maybe the only verbal noises you hear are grunts or something like that. And all of a sudden they're going to be speaking and having a conversation like you and I, after a year of floor time, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, um, getting to the point and maybe I'll, I'll have you just dis- describe it because you had showed us a confidential video in the course of a man and where it went from and that Dr. Greenspan loved that video. Did you want to comment a little bit about where he started and where, where you guys got to um, with his wonderful caregiver who was able to so talent, so, so to use his talent in such a way to bring out the best interactions in that person. Yeah. One of the very, very important things I think is how staff react to this way of being involved with people. Once they get it cooking, they love it. And the video you're referring to, it was a staff person who had a degree in engineering and spoke six languages, but he discovered that working directly with people with developmental differences was his love. And he had one particular guy that he really liked. And this guy I'd worked with 10 years before, and um, he was still doing a lot of the same behaviors. That, uh, but I, I was this time, at this point entirely focused on DIR. Um, the staff person took just really jumped into it. He not only listened to my trainings that I had for you know, a weekly basis, uh, but also, uh, and, and the coaching that I was able to do, but he went and he sought out um, uh, Dr. Greenspan on his own and read about DIR on his own and even managed to find that this was before the internet, so, or before it was like it is now, even managed to find Dr. Greenspan talking on a TV show. Um, so, so this guy, Really, Kalu, really, that was his name, really got into it. That is his name. Um, so he began, Wyatt is an individual who at that point only showed interest in other people when they had food or drink. You come into his apartment with a drink or a snack, and he focuses, he focused immediately. And you'd forget about it, and next thing you know, uh, he had your snack or, or your drink. Um, that was his only interest in other people, and he would go into these fierce bouts of self-injury where he would hit himself in the head like this with his fists, and I don't know if you can see him, my knuckles, but this way, or really making contact um, and, and make these terrible, awful sounds of pain. Um, I was only there at his, at his home one time when he had this experience. It, it was just, oh, and I had been around a lot of aggression and a lot, of, but I had never seen anything quite like that. It didn't happen often, only maybe once every two months. But um, 
that was one of the things that was eliminated by the end of this year uh, that Kalu's work with this person. Um, so what you see, oops, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to talk about the graph you had up, oh, but that's the wrong graph. That's not her. That's not him. I'm sorry. That's yeah. her graph. Yeah. Okay. Bear with me. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what happened was Kalu got to interacting as often as he could with Wyatt using a DIR approach. And he was with him 40 hours a week. Um, like I say, there were two other people. In, well, I didn't say that, but in this case, there were one to two other people who were uh, he shared the apartment with. And, and Clue used this with um, all folks. In fact, the last fellow we saw on the graph, the young man who got to be quite dangerous when he was upset, um, was also working with Clue at the same time. So we're talking about two staff members who bought into this approach big time. And I've seen it a lot with other staff people once they get it cooking. Um, so over the course of the year, what colluded, we tried to interact with Wyatt. And we began by, he had a habit of bringing his, I shouldn't have said he was only interested in food. When we began the interaction, he was also, he would get all dressed. And the next thing you know, the staff person saw him coming with the shoe, the shoe he just put on. And that could happen two, three, four times. And you could see that despite Wyatt's lack of, you know, facial expression, gestural um, of communication ability, that this was an attempt to interact. He would bring the same shoe back and have the staff put it on at the same time. And, of course, they were beginning to think of it as a mild problem behavior of those who weren't named Kalu, like the special staff member. Um, and what we did was we interpreted that as an overture. And I've, in that video, we see Kalud working with Wyatt and being playfully obstructive with his shoe and putting it on and taking it off and injecting a lot of emotion. And this is that video. I'm talking about the video from the first of this year when Kalud began to work with him. All around the shoot, mostly. But also during the course of the day, like as Daria knows, as a, a parent who wants to use DIR, you know, you inject it all the time, you know, even in the mild functional, simple functional interactions. Well, after a year, this was a high level of t intensity. I would have to guess, really, that Wyatt was getting between 15 and 20 hours a week of DIR interaction over that course of that year. Um, and then in the second video, what we see is uh, a videographer from the office come by. She posts the video, all the folks that were working with the DIR approach on a regular basis. She got there, and Wyatt had just finished his daily walk with Kalu and the other roommates and was laying down on the couch for his nap, which was his daily habit. That's how it all worked for him. Finish that walk, he would lay down and take a nap with his blanket. And the videographer shows up. And and the staff person, Clue, is caught in the middle. Um, you know, he wants to, I guess, please me and, and the videographer, even. Um, but Wyatt wants to sleep. 
and you see Kalu coming in with this bright affect and trying to get Wyatt to interact. And what's really critical is you see Wyatt trying to mollify, to calm Kalu down by using some of their favorite interactions and then doing social referencing. Okay, let's, let's slap hands. Is that good enough? Or, you know, uh, there's something else he does, and is that good enough? He's trying to get Kalu, okay, if I do a little bit of what you want, will you leave me alone? And Kalu stayed with it. <laughs> Bless his heart. And finally, it got to the point. By this time, we hadn't seen Wyatt hitting his head in the way I described in many months. That stopped early in the year, but I don't have a graph on that. I wish I did. But what happened was, in this, finally Wyatt was pushed enough that he kept getting back on the couch and pulling it over his head and looking at Kalu. And finally, Wyatt brought the blanket down off of his head, looked at Kalu, then looked straight ahead and went, Argh! that was all. That was how he was using his problem behavior in extreme frustration. Because <laughs> I would have told Kalu to back off a lot sooner than he did. But you know what? Stanley Greenspan would have told him to keep going like he did. And <laughs> but we end up seeing this very challenged individual using a modulated form of his problem behavior to communicate I'm really trying to work with you, my friend, but I'm getting really irritated. And I just want to take my nap, so leave me alone. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Did I miss anything in that story? I know there was a lot in the video. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, um, yeah, these kinds of videos are very personal and confidential, so we're not going to show it in, in this podcast. But, uh, yeah, you did describe it in... And if people could just imagine this Kalu, he, he just was filled with affect and fun and trying to have fun. And the fact that Wyatt was able to have fun with him and sort of like peekaboo from behind the blanket and, and gesture and do all of the things that you suggested instead of just melting down immediately was a testament to the relationship they had built and all of the, the practice they had had at this effective signaling and and imagine all of the people that told Wyatt put your shoe back on or go put your shoe away and you guys had the insight to see like he's trying to interact with us and let's have interactions around tying this shoe and putting this shoe on and being silly and having fun and that by following Wyatt's lead with the shoe having that lead into all of these rich interactions that really helped enrich his life because now he actually was able to interact with other people and have some form of communication that was understood and interpreted instead of just um, being told to control his behavior. <laughs> yeah. He was yeah. functioning in complex communication. Uh, he had a problem. He, there were negative emotions going on. He continued interacting using just preverbal signaling, not a word. Kalu mm -hmm. used language, but Wyatt didn't. But he kept trying to compromise. And that's a critical part of what happens in the fourth capacity. Greenspan emphasized that hugely, <laughs> if I may use a term there, um, that, you know, how important that was. And 
there he was interacting through negative emotions and eventually doing shared social problem solving with a signal based on what was once a problem behavior. Yeah. Yep. That was fantastic. And um, I certainly encourage listeners or viewers to look at the full blog post where uh, we'll have some links up there at affectautism.com with Jean Christian. Uh, this is, this is a slide um, that you'll be able to see on the blog post for those listening to the audio podcast. It's just um, a couple of references that Jean has listed here. Unfortunately, uh, I, this was about 2010, but these were the only references to working with older people with DIR at that time. Um, I hope to see a lot more people doing it. Absolutely. Uh, new research is coming out all the time, especially with the PhD program at Fielding University, focused on, on DIR topics. So um, hopefully people found this interesting and um, gave them some insight into the importance of the early capacities and how um, all of this can be worked on in a nonverbal way, just having warm, fun, silly interactions with another person so that they feel safe enough to then communicate with us. I really appreciate the opportunity, Daria. Oh, I appreciate you agreeing to come on and, and spend this time with us chatting about everything. So thank you so much, Gene. Thank you, Daria. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play. 